Welcome back, everyone, to the Counterculture Podcast with your host, uh, Derek. And then over here we have our lovely Anthony. How are you doing today, Anthony? I'm doing great. He's doing great. He didn't he didn't I broke the promise we made last time that I would intro in. Yeah, he did he did break that promise. Um, as you can see today we are in person, live in action. It's kinda of funny because right when he comes back to Indiana I'm actually going out to Arizona. Yeah, so. literally I get in at two in the morning from Arizona <laughs> and twelve hours later he's flying out. To Arizona. Hey. I think he's running from me. I think he hates doing this in person. He doesn't like when I disagree with him and I look him right in the eye and I tell him why he's wrong. He gets intimidated and so he runs to a different state. Hey, that's what you gotta do. Sometimes you gotta run away from your problems and think about them and then come back, alright? Um, but yeah, um, it's, it's great to, to be back and we're glad Anthony got home safely um, and sound. You leave tomorrow, right? To... Arizona. Monday. Monday. Two days. Have you ever been to Sedona? Mm-hmm. Is it nice? It is nice. Is Love that where you're going? Yeah, we're going to Sedona, nice. and then we're going to... Have you been in Grand Canyon yet? Yeah. Oh. Are you nope. going there, too? Yeah, we're going there, too. Nice. You've been to the Grand Canyon, haven't you? I have, when I was, like, a little... You didn't go to high school? No. Oh, I you wasn't didn't go on that trip? No, I did not. I'm, uh... Yeah. Not a big fan of high school trips, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, okay. But, but today, our topic is going to be about Scripture, and especially the doctrine of um, Scripture alone, or sola scriptura, if I don't say it, that's how I say it, probably pronouncing it wrong, but let's just, you know, get in. Confidence. <laughs> Unmatched confidence from Derek. Let, let us just get in. So, Anthony, I know you watched... I watched some of the debate between Trent Horn and Gavin. I forget his last name. Portland. Fr- yeah. Um, let's first define. So, what is Sola Scriptura? Great. Um, so, yeah, it would be defined as Scripture alone. Scripture is the only infallible source of authority mm-hmm. to the Christian. So I, that that would that would be the fundamental belief of soul scripture. Okay. And like as you said, we um, there was a debate. I don't even know if this was a recent debate. I think it was. I think it was recent actually. Really? I think it was a week, two weeks ago. Oh really? Yeah. Um, actually no, I think you're right. You're right. Right. I'm thinking of a different one. Um, yeah, there was a recent debate between um, Trent Horn and Gavin Ortland. Um, Gavin being a, a Protestant and Trent being a, a Catholic, and it was a really interesting debate about about Sola Scriptura, and it really connected to what we talked about, uh, when was that? When we talked about essential beliefs, um, mm-hmm. when we talk, when we did the first part of our essential yeah. beliefs, and we talked about your essential beliefs, and you mm-hmm. said that uh, the first essential belief that you listed was the inerrancy and authority of Scripture, and we got to talking about, um, actually it might have been on the second part too, we started talking about... We did both. Um, yeah, we mentioned it on both, and specifically on the most, most recent one, the second part of the Essential Beliefs episode, we, I asked you um, if you think that it's essential to believe that Scripture is infallible, and we agreed that currently we think it's essential to believe that, um, but I asked you about the fact that in the early church, they didn't have Scripture, they didn't have the New Testament in the, mm-hmm. like the first generation of Christians. Um, so they didn't view the New Testament as infallible. 
that wasn't necessary for them to yeah. believe because they didn't have the New Testament. Mm. And even when they got the New Testament, even when Paul's and the other apostles' writings started going out, they didn't really universally, officially consider them scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't reference them as scripture in the same way that they referenced the Old Testament as scripture. The, the, the Bible of the early Christian church would have been just the Old Testament, and then they would have had the writings yeah. that were more so for church uh, for church teaching. Um, and then slowly over time, it developed into an idea that they were infallible scripture. So we said that um, the standard then changed at some point, because for the early Christians, we would say that they are Christian. That they, we would mm-hmm. say that they were Christian, despite the fact that they didn't view certain letters of the New Testament as infallible. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, that standard for what is essential to believe must have changed, because now we believe that it is yeah. essential, right? Yeah. So that kind of connected to uh, the debate that we watched, that I watched. That I, sent I watched some, some of it. No. He slacks off. I send him videos all the time. He doesn't watch them. You know, we <laughs> reference all the time on the show. Oh, yeah, I'll... I'll send you the last couple episodes. We always say, I'll send you some stuff, you know, I'll send you some books I'm reading or some <laughs> videos I'm watching. And he never actually watches them. Hey. So I don't know what's the point. He's not, he's not open to learn, I guess. Busy man. Yeah. Um, I have a question before. So, yeah. you know, how the New Testament standard changed. So back in the Old Testament, or the Old Testament canon, mm-hmm. wasn't somewhat of the same things. I know the first five books, but then you have books after that come. Yeah. Um, I don't know the history. I be the last to say anything because I know nothing but wouldn't it be somewhat the same inferences where like the book of Isaiah for example you know it's written down Mm -hmm. and they'd say well later you know it's known as Old Testament you know in in the Old Testament canon in Jesus's day Mm -hmm. so you know any where that kind of quote-unquote changed where you're saying like when the book of Isaiah was written yeah or like any before the book yes, of Isaiah was written. Where the Isaiah, people, for example. Yeah. They were still Israelites, right? And they were still uh-huh. God's people, but they didn't have certain books. They weren't yeah. all there. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because they were under, first and foremost, they weren't they weren't under the they weren't under the Old Testament um, as a governing yeah. as an authority structure, like the Israelites. They weren't under the Old Testament as we know it. Because those they they were under the authority of the prophets and uh-huh. the kings and you know Moses and the patriarchs and so and then the teachings of those prophets and patriarchs were made into the Old Testament scripture yeah. into the books of the Old mm-hmm. Testament and so they weren't necessarily bound to you know we're talking about the, the, like the Hebrews at you know the time of Moses and Abraham and um, David they weren't necessarily bound to the written format of those teachings, but they were bound to those teachings in as much as they came from the people that they were really bound to, which were the patriarchs and the kings and the mm-hmm. prophets and the priests. So their authority was ultimately always those figures that God instituted as part of their, of the Israelite nation. And then later in Jesus' time, they've had all those teachings written down, and so mm-hmm. they're studying them. Uh, but ultimately, even in Jesus' day, they were still subject to the, the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders, right? Mm-hmm. And the law, which had been had come down through the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, um, and the church authority of, yeah. of 
so to speak. So the uh, the Old Testament was really more of a format to to give them what they were really subject to, which was the authority of their of their religious uh, their religious organization. So it's similar mm-hmm. to early Christians because early Christians. Yeah. So th- this is really getting to the what the um, what I guess the disagreement is um, that people have is because people will say that in the beginning, in in the beginning of the church, the early church, because they didn't have scripture, their their authority was the apostles. was the apostles, and it was the bishops, and it was the the apostolic churches, um, and so people that believe in sola scriptura either deny that that was ever the case, that they were subject to the bishops and church authority first and foremost, or they'll say that that was the case at one point, and then there was a a sort of paradigm shift where they stopped being subject to the church authority as their authority, as their ultimate authority, and started uh, being subject to only scripture as their ultimate authority. I, so with the authority piece, I don't think sola scriptura doesn't say that there isn't authorities but i think at the same time because i think as a church body there's always authorities so you have the elders the pastor um those are authorities who you're supposed to submit to if you are part of that body um in that church um but i think the the one thing is that which i think Protestants saw it well, and I think those men are capable of making infallible state or fallible statements. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why they've kind of I know it's kind of the trans. I, I think they get sola scriptura wrong because they say there's no authority, other authority. So they're like the Catholics, are like no, you, you're just saying well the Bible's enough or the Bible alone. I don't, I don't think that's the right position of saying it's just the Bible alone in one sense. The Bible is the final authority, but you also have authorities, even in the Protestant churches, that you submit to, you know, their mm-hmm. teachings too. But the Bible is the final overarching authority to that. Nothing can, no man, mere man, can make the infallible statements like, you know, what's in the Bible, like the apostles. And I, I think maybe that goes back to the disagreement of apost- or apostolic secession, maybe, is it another thing that I'm kind of thinking about, um, how they, the, for example, the Catholic Church kind of holds that viewpoint of apostolic secession, how that passes along. But, uh, I mean, the only question I have is, you know, they think they have... Op- if there's apostolic secession, but if the teachings that are not in scriptures that are clearly written down, the teachings of the apostles, mm-hmm. and they contradict or can be found nowhere in the Bible, would we count that as a oral? Will we say, well, that's just an oral tradition, even though it was passed down 1,500 years later after the apostles came came and died? Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I think my that's one of my biggest hindrances of saying well there's like for the pope example can make infallible statements um 
I, I just think there's been popes during the past 2000 or however long the Catholic Church has has made statements that there's clearly no no substantial scripture to back up um, for example Mary um, and, the, and how they pray through the saints I, I just don't think there's there's scripture to really pinpoint even though they kind of make it seem like it's an infallible thing um, and it's set in stone um, if that makes sense yeah so working backwards from what you what you said the the argument that like um, that there's certain church teachings for example in the Catholic Church regarding Mary the argument that that's not found in scripture it doesn't really have any weight to a Catholic who believes that mm-hmm. because they don't believe that it has to be in Scripture. In oh, okay, believe, I got you. Right? Because mm-hmm. they don't believe in Sola Scriptura. So they can believe things that aren't explicitly laid out in Scripture mm-hmm. because the church as an authority. And so that is the debate is whether you, whether Scripture alone has the infallible authority to establish a doctrine so do they come they come to that so how do they come to the reasoning of the pope i know it's with peter but you also mentioned something about second thessalonians i think too last time about the apostolic yeah yeah mm-hmm. about the apostolic secession do they also go in and say hey here catholics hey there is the oral tradition mm-hmm. is also part of the written tradition right. in a sense is that also a or is it just a, you know, mm-hmm. because the, the thing I, I'm come because I look at it and you have like we were talking about last episodes, you have the Orthodox Church and then you mm-hmm. have the Catholic Church and they both say traditions, but their right. traditions look totally different. Right. It's like, I mean, what's the, you know, what are we right. kind of juggling by, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. So. Your question is, your question is what? How, how do they come to the substantial that there's other parts except scripture? Yeah, so, well, that's the, um, so like, like I explained at the beginning, there was, we both agreed that there was a, a time yeah. before scripture mm-hmm. where, you know, I believe that the early church, when because they didn't have scripture, they didn't have New Testament scripture, that they're ultimate authority was the church and their church leaders, um, the bishops of their churches. And so the, the, um, the Sola Scriptura side, like I said, either has to argue that there was never a time where the early Christians were just subject to the church authority, um, first and foremost. And that is what we're talking about when we say, like you mentioned that, you know, when people criticize Sola Scriptura, they're, they're saying, well, you don't believe there's any other authority besides Scripture. When I say authority, I mean an actual, like, authority that has some, like, a spiritual effect. Like, there is oh. a spiritual importance to submitting to this authority. Because you say that Protestant churches have authority. But really, you're free to disagree with, the, with that church authority, like your pastor or whatever. Like, you're completely free to just disagree with them and not believe what they believe. And so... And then that's fine, and there's no consequences to that. And so it's an authority in the sense that they kind of run the thing, mm. but there isn't like a 
spiritual consequence to not submitting to them. You're free to just, dis- you, you can either believe what they're saying yeah. or not. And so people who believe in sola scriptura have to either argue that there was a time, there was never a time when people were first and foremost subject to church authority and bishops and the like. Or they have to argue that that was the case of the early church, but then at some point that changed and people became subject mm-hmm. ultimately only to scripture, to scripture alone, sola mm-hmm. scriptura. And so what the people who don't believe in sola scriptura will say is that there is, there was never that shift. Mm-hmm. The early church was subject first and foremost to the bishops, the church authority, the, yeah. the, um, the apostolic church, and that never changed. Scripture was added once scripture was compiled and determined to be infallible. Scripture was determined as also an ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. Um, but the church as an authority structure never stopped being a mm-hmm. first and foremost authority. Yeah. Because, and the question is, I guess I don't know which one of those you believe in, whether you think there was a shift where it went from church authority to scripture alone, or if you think that the church authority being ultimate was never the case. Yeah, I, I, what was the authority that every bishop was, in a sense, had to follow? It was the apostles' teachings. Right, which were not yet in written form. But, I mean... And that they were what, what verbally do you mean, told to them. What, what do you mean they were verbally told? Because the Gospels or the... I know the Gospel accounts were written sometime. You know, there's various, maybe 30, 40 years. But you also had letters mm-hmm. that were written maybe seven years after Christ, you know, resurrected. Um, I think maybe one of the Corinthian letters. And I then think the, Thessalonians was the earliest letter written. And that might not have been for several a couple a I, few decades I, I after don't... I think I think first Thessalonians was the first one written and I think it might have been written around 50 I want to say 50 AD mm-hmm. which would have been 17 years after but I mean the apostles were still alive right and so they were uh-huh. verbally teaching and there but was they, probably notes being taken they so, were but... they were written down in a sense because as I read thinking about the apostolic secession part mm-hmm it's not that they are so so you know you look at the verse it says to stand firm and hold on to the traditions that were taught by us Mm -hmm. either by spoken word or by our letter now this either by us like i said i look at it so again there was the authority you know of, of 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 the apostles that were in a sense, quote-unquote, you could say was passed down, but the bishops couldn't go out of tune to what the 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 apostles taught, you know, mm-hmm. in a sense. And you look down, and you see across the time of the Catholic Church where there was various teachings that come up, you know, mm-hmm. five 500 to 1,000 years later, which, again, you say, well, that authority's passed on, but, again, it has to be taught by the the apostles and has to be basically confirmed it was it was from the apostles mm-hmm. but there's no evidence for a thousand years that the apostles taught that or even through as i kind of look at it through oral tradition because you would think well it would, it would come up you know it would it would it would it would at some point you know maybe be taught in the very early church if you what's can. an example of that 
I would say some, I mean, again, the, the standpoint of, um, I think, I think Mary is a good point to use Mm -hmm. because it is substantially put in, even though as she was somewhat, they, they say they don't worship her, but they prayed to her in order to, it's, it's a weird thing, um, which they kind of, I mean, kind of listening to how they believe, they kind of go round and round in circles upon it. Um, upon, well, we're not actually worshiping. She's the, the mother of God, which is true. But at the same time, I think it's a teaching that clearly is contradicted in Hebrews where we don't have to go through a woman or a, a other person to to get to God, it's through Jesus Christ alone that we're able to get to God because He's the one who intercedes for us. But that teaching nowhere in the first thousand years of the church or thousand five hundred years of the church was never confounded. And then one day, you know, a I don't it was the Pope decided to put it in. It makes it just no sense to me from looking at that perspective in the perspective of again if you look at it and you say men are 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 fallible again fallible in the way they teach things the way they say things um the, the way they express but we we are it mm, i it's just it's just weird to me that the that what the apostles taught you find no recollection of that, even in oral tradition, as the Catholics like to say that that was passed down for those years, and then one day it comes up if you get. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I think that's true for some. I mean, I think the example of praying to Mary uh, slash the saints is a bad example because there's there is a there is a long tradition of that being, that you can find that in the church going back, and I don't think that's something that's contradicted in Scripture, even if you don't believe that it's a useful thing. I don't think it's something that's ever contradicted in Scripture. But I guess to understand what you're saying about some things that they seem to dogmatize being being contrary to, contrary to Scripture. There's there's really only one example of there's really only one example that I can think of that what I would say is something that they've dogmatized that it's contrary to Scripture, which would be the Immaculate Conception of Mary being Mary being born sinless and her not having the stain of original sin on her at all. I think that's refuted by Scripture when Scripture says that all of fallen, all of sin and fallen short, right? And there's no that are right. There's none on the earth that are righteous, not a single one. Um, and I, I see no reason why that, see no evidence of why that wouldn't apply to Mary when it's pretty clear that it's every single person. Mm-hmm. Um, that's throughout Scripture. There's never a, a caveat made out for Mary. Um, so I think that, that that would be the only example I can think of where something is dogmatized. I think it would be directly contrary to Scripture. Um, a lot of the other stuff, though, is not really addressed by Scripture, and so I don't think we can say it contradicts necessarily. But I understand that... I understand what you're saying. You made another point that I... that I can't... I can't recall. You said that... Oh, you said that... Um, ultimately... The, the, the early church was subject to the teaching of the apostles, right? And the teaching of the apostles was was given to the early church leaders, which is why they were subject to the early church leaders. So 
so heavily, and that was why it was that was the early church's um, primary authority was their church leaders because they had received the teaching from the apostles, and so uh, my question, I guess, which is like the important question, is which which route do you take in in justifying soul scripture is it that is it that the early church was never subject ultimately to church authority or is it that they were and then there was a shift and then they weren't and they were only subject to scripture now i think that's a um so with the authority piece you're you're talking about kind of like the the popes were they're the only ones who can interpret scripture. Um, the bishops or yeah, I mean the church authority of the early church. Uh huh. Well, I mean, I really, I, I really don't know. I, I would, hmm. I would say it's. Um, Because you're saying that's that traditions passed down, they have authority, but like I say, I think there is authority still today, even in Protestant churches. Yes, you could, in some regards, disagree, but usually on the substantial issues of the Bible, you usually agree and affirm what the elders and the pastors lay down as the foundation of their teachings. Um, now, if it's at a mega church, no, because of the way there's so many people. But at smaller churches, I would say you usually affirm the teachings, and they don't let you become a mem- member unless you affirm those teachings. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's be- not my question, though. My question was, if the early church, I- I'm asking about the authority piece because that's what I'm still confused upon. What right, do you I'm mean? not like applying that to modern day. Uh-huh. I'm not talking about in the modern day. I'm talking about like, like rewind to the early church when the early church was, they believed, in the early church, ultimately first and foremost subject to church authority. Um, do you think that that was actually never the case? Or do you think that that was the case, but then that shifted at some point to where they were only, uh, only subject to the teaching of, uh, of Scripture itself? I would say the the fundamental thing would be, I guess you could have the standard shift with the way how most of the apostles' teachings were written down, mm-hmm. in a sense. So I, I guess I would agree in the sense of the. I I would probably say I guess you could say there was a a shift because when they started to write them down, and I don't know how long that was. I mean they had letters. I don't know the history of you know how many churches had what letters. Mm-hmm. Um, if every church had Romans or. You know all that so i guess there would be a i guess i would say in one instance there was a shift but there was still written down things from the apostles that they taught them um which again was in written form that they listened to and that the bishops were under and had to listen to um so i guess you could i could say there was a shift 
um, in a sense, if there wasn't written written letters, but they were given those written letters or written, you know, portions of um, scripture in a sense um, that they may follow. Um, because, like it says, I mean, with the oral tradition, which is why it's it's the the sense of that the it's not substantially founded where it's like it could change. We don't. It's it's the same thing with the Pharisees, um, where where they kind of were changing, I guess, somewhat of the tradition, and they had goodwill and, and intent in it doing it, but they mm-hmm. they changed and they added on to it. But I would say, I guess you could say the presence shifted. I mean, I I really never thought about that. So, but I would go it it, it shifted when they were given the written portions. Right. So like around, so in like the second century or even like late in the first century when letters started getting around more so to the different churches of Paul's writings, for example, you think that a, um, a member of one of those churches, just one of the, the common people in the church, when that church received a letter from Paul and the bishop had the letter and they he read it to everyone and made a determination that um, this is what Paul is prescribing for what our church should do and believe this is what he means by this and so this is what we're going to do that at that point every person in that church had the ability and freedom to um, just kind of take it or leave it with whatever the bishop just said and kind of agree or disagree. They can just leave the church and just kind of go start their own if they didn't agree with the, you know, if they heard the letter and they were like, I don't like your interpretation of that, so, you know, we're going to start our own thing. I, I think the the key point that they have to realize, especially, I mean, especially now is the sense of Scripture interprets itself and Scripture cannot contradict mm-hmm. itself. Mm-hmm. So now you could say the interpretation piece of it, um, which, again, even in the Catholic Church, there are different views of interpretations. I think they, I think we think they're one unified body, but I feel like there's a lot of Catholics who disagree with what the Pope are putting across, or that's putting across, and would we not say that's a division of authority? Um, now that's. I don't know. That's I wouldn't. I wouldn't give them the reins because, again, if it's unbiblical, then I think they may have the, in a sense, right to that. But if it's biblical and what they are, are expressing, the bishops, it's like the pastor. If what he says is biblical, you should follow that um, wholeheartedly because, again, that's the authority figure that you have to submit to or called as Christians to sum- submit to, you know, the elders, you know. Mm-hmm. all. So, I, I mean, it, it really depends, I, I guess. I, I'm not saying... I, I think they try to make, well, we're just going to interpret and you just have all these people interpreting it the wrong way. Um, yes and no. Um, yes and no. Um, and I don't think it matters if it's Catholic or Protestant. Because, I mean, it's like in the Protestant stack with LGBTQ. I mean, Catholics are still facing the same exact problem. Um, and that's, again, the challenge of 
of of authority in a in a sense but how do we get that derive that authority it's from scripture um and again that's the as i point it's the final authority and i think anything that someone tries to say it's like i was watching that one debate actually with brandon robinson and it was clearly laid out in scripture what it says about homosexuality mm-hmm. but guess what he said no that's the wrong interpretation right that's more of a sense of being he that that is where i like that's that's wrong i totally you know i'm like it, it clearly contradicts now there's other parts in scripture like doctrines like in a sense of um which i mean i guess the early church really you know if you think about all the doctrines we have the early church really didn't know that much of, uh, i would say very like the early early church didn't know much about the doctrines i would mm-hmm. say like predestination or free will right you know all those um right. so i mean in in that instance but like we were saying the the fundamentals of who christ is and what he does and if we believe in him that we he resurrected he died on the cross and resurrected and he, you know I, I i think that's the centerpiece um of it all But the interpretation piece is, I, I think, it's a thin line because of the way it, it depends. What, how would I say, you're in, what are you interpreting? Because when I think of doctrines like that, it's like, well, that's not, you know, that's not mm-hmm. it. You know, that's like you can't. That's not a, a salvation issue. But if you look of who Christ is, and you know, if someone says, well he wasn't fully man then that's a direct contradiction with what scripture actually has to say so that interpretation of that person is wrong but you can clearly see that in scripture and interpret he is fully man um especially in hebrews if you just crack open that book and see the deity of christ also the humanity of him um so yeah i i mean yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't what what do you think about it you know what would you take the standpoint of, um, how would I say, with like the interpretation, like who who would you say would be the authority to interpret with all the theology books that are out and all that? Like, what would you? Yeah, um, I don't know. I kind of go back and forth, honestly. Mm. I because. You know, the situation I presented you with, you're in the early church, you get the letter from Paul, and the bishop has the letter and, you know, reads it to everyone and declares the, you know, explains to you the meaning of it and how it's to be applied in your church. And you feel that the the bishop is, is wrong. Um, do you have the moral right to try and break away from the church and start your own church um and i go back and forth because it does depend on the on the severity Mm. of of the disagreement you know what i mean it it's different when you disagree on something that perhaps your disagreement isn't just that it's maybe i feeling like it's a faulty interpretation that's kind of different than thinking that it's a 
contradictory interpretation, right? If you were to hear someone give an interpretation of Scripture and you think, well, that is contradictory to the rest of Scripture, or that's contrary to other things we know from Scripture, that's different than saying, well, that's just not how I would have interpreted it. Mm -hmm. But it's still within the realm of not being contradictory. For example, you brought up praying to Mary or praying to the saints in general. That's something where if, in you know, I'm in the early church and there was a, you know, we get the letter, Bishop says the interpretation, and he concludes that, and he, he says that it's the teaching of the church through these letters that it's permissible and beneficial to pray to the saints. That wouldn't be something that I would split over. That wouldn't be something that I would break away and start my own church over because it's not contradictory to the rest of Scripture. It's, it's, not, it's not like him saying that my interpretation of this letter is that Christ is actually not God. That would be something where that really contradicts what we already know. Mm-hmm. And so it's worth leaving for. And so I go back and forth because then at the same time you bring up things like Brandon Robertson who has all these views on homosexuality that are clearly contrary yeah. to scripture. But then the question comes, how? because I, I've been listening to a, um, a two-part series on the... Um, on homosexuality in the Bible where someone lays down their scriptural argument for why homosexual relationships should be permitted. Um, and they have scripture to back it up. Mm-hmm. They have a rationale, a way of interpreting the scriptures where it lines up to get to this conclusion. And so when I hear that and I hear Brandon Robertson and you're saying that that's obviously wrong, at the same time, like I said, I would split if you know the, the bishop was saying Christ is not God. Then I hear stuff like that, and I say, well, then how do you know, though? How do you know that that line of interpretation is wrong? I mean, I suppose you use your own reasoning to get there. You reason through it yourself, and you come to your own interpretation. You say, okay, I came to a different interpretation, so I think that yours is wrong. But then you've kind of come through a series of rash rationalities to reach your conclusion they've done the same to reach their conclusion there it seems to me that there would be a benefit that the body of christ would have to having a a decision maker an ultimate interpretive authority where we can all go through the logic in our heads and rationalize and get to our conclusion on the interpretation of scripture we can all do that ourselves and disagree and that is what has happened that's why we have so many different beliefs about so many things within christianity but it seems to me that if we really wanted if it would seem to me that it would be beneficial if there were a deciding authority that could say this is the correct interpretation of the scripture it would seem like if god wanted us to know how to interpret scripture which why would he give a scripture he didn't want us to know it then there would be an ultimate deciding authority in the interpretation of scripture so i go back and forth on it uh-huh uh, who would you say you would give that authority to i know the catholics give it to the pope but well the catholics don't just give it to the pope they give it to the church broadly and what do you mean so, by the church, probably? They don't just give it to the Pope. They give it to, you know, um, church decisions. Like The Pope isn't just unilaterally mm-hmm. deciding everything, and he's not talking to anybody. There are 
councils and committees and synods and uh, different bodies that come to determinations and even advise the Pope. Or put the Pope, when the Pope is making an infallible decision, I mean, maybe in the past this hasn't been the case, but I, modern Catholic Church, it's it's just he's making that with the advisement hmm. of several hundred, probably thousands of other people, committees, people that are all communicating and going over the theology and the doctrines and the scriptures to come to this determination if there is a situation that needs a an authoritative statement. So it's not. So that's what I mean by the church as a whole, not yeah. just the the Pope as a kind of dictatorial um, figure, and as well as um, ecumenical councils that are deemed infallible. And so it's it's the church as a as a body, not just the Pope. And so that's what they would say, and that's what um, that's what I would. Uh, that's the only other option, you know. Besides, mm. you know, God doesn't speak audibly and over the whole planet and tell us all what scripture means, right? The church is really the only other option for, besides personal interpretation, for how we would get to a, an authoritative, objective, you know, universal interpretation of what the scripture is supposed to mean. Yeah. Um, would they say, because I know there's been confessions since the Protestant Reformation. What do you mean? Like the Westminster confession where oh like protestant part, confessions. yeah yeah confessions okay. Okay. where they come come together and, and in some regards interpret scripture uh-huh. would you say that's somewhat of the cat like the catholic church or would you say that that wouldn't be what would they or what would they say that wouldn't be found because it's not the catholic church um right because it's not something that was agreed upon so the um I'm not sure where this phrase comes from, but I, I read it when I was reading about orthodoxy, which has a much more historical and traditional view on what is the church's decision on the ultimate thing. Um, they say that a dogma, something that's absolutely essential to believe, that there's an authoritative statement on what the belief in this is, it has to be something that has been believed by everyone, everywhere, for all time, mm-hmm. as in the entire universal church. And so when a Protestant sect breaks off and there's like a few thousand people that kind of get together and then they make some sort of confession, that's not the same as, say, Nicaea or Chalcedon or something like that. When you had every church leader, essentially the entire universal worldwide church community coming together to make a statement. I don't think those are comparable. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, no, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be the same. Mm-hmm. I got you. Um, I mean, I always learned with with scripture of the, of the way of interpreting it by like exegesis. So, from the own historical context, is that how they interpret scripture, or do they go? What do you mean? Like the the church in the whole, the Catholic Church, like mm-hmm. how they interpret scripture. Um, do they go from the standard of um, looking back to the tradition to interpret it, or how, how do they do? Like, what's that? Like, how do they come to a decision yeah, on what yeah, this yeah. scripture means? Mm-hmm. Well, most of it has been decided already because yeah. you know it's not like they are every day having to interpret a new scripture. Really, I don't. I don't because scripture's been 
you know, torn to shreds in a good way, in an analytical way by theologians for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. They had a pretty robust understanding of it, even of the New Testament, you know, a few centuries in. And so they would look at, um, I don't really know what the process, I mean, they would look at scripture, of course, and see if it doesn't contradict each other, right? Mm -hmm. And they would see if something were in accord with what traditional Christians have always affirmed going back to the early church leaders like the early councils and they would they would take it as a collective yeah so i know uh, are they ever fearful of because you know as you read the the gospel accounts as i kind of mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier is the the pharisees traditions that they've kind of i mean in a sense i guess was somewhat They were the they, they were somewhat interpreted and they kind of added it in in a sense saying well this tradition's here this tradition here like the Sabbath like you can't do this and that and that um, or walk so many steps were were they ever fearful of something like that coming about in the church or are they those those added traditions that mm-hmm. come along throughout history not just you know back in the early early church um, are they ever fearful? Were they ever? I'm, I'm assuming they they gotta be wary of that. I'm yeah, wrong. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they ever really worry about that. I mean, I know that the belief is that whatever it is, whatever is, whatever traditions or well, I guess you have to make a distinction. In what you're talking about? Do you mean like traditions in terms of doctrine, like beliefs, or do you mean traditions in more terms like added of practices? on more of practices that okay. they kind of say is. I mean, there's there's some where I guess the I don't know if the fair how they um, with the Pharisees how one they added traditions, but also some of their their I guess quote unquote doctrine was kind of skewed um, mm-hmm. the way they interpreted things, um, which is what would be my biggest again is my biggest fear of trying to just say. There is a where you try to add in other things that aren't in the Bible that clearly aren't stated in the Bible, and that okay, that's good. But I think how else would we know? You know, you know how else did how else did those people know what the Sabbath was and that they added all these other things to do like they didn't know? They just in a sense, it was their tradition, you know, that they passed down, which again they had good meaning for. They, the Pharisees probably at some point had a good heart for, in a sense, of trying to keep people away from sinning. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's like saying that that would be my only fear point with saying going out the verge and saying all these other things apart from scripture can be included. I'm not saying tradition isn't important by no means, but at the same time, if we include that into other things that aren't specifically found into scripture i i i just wouldn't be i don't think it's very comfortable seeing especially looking at the bible and its whole in the new testament the gospels and what happened to the pharisees and how those people were basically abused because of the Mm -hmm. traditions and led led down a 
basically a false path, a false way, because mm-hmm. of their arrogance and their inf- infallibility of making those mistakes, um, in a sense. Being so, 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 I think we have to make a distinction between is traditional practices and that are just that practices um, or disciplines as they would call them and things that are said to be necessary like for salvation even or for life of a Christian because what was happening with the Pharisees I don't think it's a one-to-one comparison because what was happening with the Pharisees was these things were necessary for like these things were spiritually necessary for 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 salvation for the life of a Jew and I'm not sure what what would be a what would be a comparable practice that a church asserts is necessary spiritually that is contrary to scripture like what is a a discipline or a practice that is prescribed as necessary that is contrary to scripture I would say the I would say the from the the I'll go back to again I don't think scripture says anywhere about praying to people again I think that's a direct contradiction to scripture um, and that Christ is the only one we should be praying to and I think that's dangerous I would say because again why else did Christ come so there wouldn't be a in a sense a a, a man or a, or a mediator you know in a sense of a from the standard of a, a man you know all people can come and it's Christ who's the one who who's the the great high priest now who we go to in our time of need um, and not other saints and I, I think that's a highly dangerous thing um, to kind of portray um now what i say it's a salvation issue maybe i don't know i just feel like it's 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 worship of of someone uh, of something that in a sense is it's clearly contradicted in scripture through those prayers well, I don't think there's any scripture that says only pray to Jesus. I'm not sure what verse that would be, but I mean, if you look at it, uh, uh, of who is the mediator between man and or and man and God, it's Christ. Right, but no one's that saying that is the 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 sense of who we go through through prayer. Mm-hmm. So where do your now they? I know in scripture it says the saints in heaven praise mm-hmm. for the saints here. I don't think anywhere in scripture does it say that we're supposed to pray for to those saints you know and we're in a sense i mean i've seen where they basically make up these basically preserve the bodies of the saints you know and basically go to them and and act like it's a holy a holy i I wouldn't know how to describe it some holy ground that they yeah which is it's weird to me i I just Mm -hmm. look at that i'm like are you guys worshiping this person who's a mere man who god used greatly for his kingdom and you know amen for that but you are just worshiping this man Mm -hmm. and that that's 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 where i kind of 
that's kind of the struggle strong point struggle point i have because i'm like that's not and, and that can be dangerous i i feel like now i know you could say well we don't worship those saints but at the same time it's like i don't know i i see that i see the action it's like are, do, are you sure you know um yeah i i think I think we, I think you're making the mistake of conflating things that aren't talked about in Scripture and things that are condemned in Scripture. Like I don't think that like praying to the saints is explicitly referenced in Scripture. But I also don't think it's contradictory because the whole Christ is mediator thing. No one's asserting that the saints in heaven are mediators in the sense that they are continuously offering themselves as sacrifices to God on our behalf for the remission of our sin. That's what Christ does. And that's what Hebrews describes in like Hebrews 8, I think. And they talk about how he, Christ is the high priest and he's also the sacrifice that the high priest makes. And he's in heaven interceding on our behalf constantly, eternally offering himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And so the priest doesn't have to go into the temple every you know week and offer a new sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Because Christ is eternally interceding with himself as the sacrifice and himself as the priest. And no one argues that the saints are doing that. Um so I, the whole praying to saints, I don't think that contradicts any of that. But the question that prompted that conversation was, what is a teaching, what is a practice that is said to be essential that is contradicted by Scripture? I think the praying to saints it fails on both of the accounts. I don't think it's, I don't I mean, think it's considered necessary. By I don't I know mean, if they consider it necessary. Did you see... Like, but it's also not contradicted in Scripture. If we look at the example of of, of Christ, that, that is our, our example to follow. Did he pray to Moses? Did he pray to Abraham? Did he pray to any of the prophets? Nowhere in Scripture does it show that he prayed to Moses, Abraham, or any of those prophets. Um... Which again, if Christ is our example that we should follow, I I just think it's very. I like I said, I think that's a, a great issue where we're running to man to try to, in a sense, um, how would I want to say it? Um, giving us direct access to God by praying to them, which I think the only direct access is through Christ, um, which is why I think it's very... Um, I, I think, again, Scripture is clear that the only direct access to God is through Christ Jesus, not praying to... Not through saints, not to praying to Mary through the saints. That's the... I think that's very unbiblical and it contradicts what scripture has to say um, because I mean Hebrews 4:16 I mean which is such a great verse is you know let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need and and beforehand it's just talking about who is that through it, it's through Christ Jesus um, because of what he's done um for for all of mankind um and that we don't have to go through any man or any sacrificial system we can just go straight to the throne of god because of the way god or christ tore down that veil for us um and he's the direct access to god the father 
Right, and no one is denying that Christ is our direct access to the Father, or that He's our mediator, or anything like that. I, I, like, like I said, there's no, no one denies that, and no one puts any dead, you but, know, a saint in that place. And so, would but, you would you what? say that them praying to Mary and the saints are basically having an access to God, in a sense? In a sense, in the same sense that I ask you to pray for me when I'm struggling. But I wouldn't say that that's that's totally different because, again, who are those prayers going? They're going up to God. You are petitioning. Well, I'm asking you. I'm petitioning so you, you to ask, pray for me. So you ask, you ask for me to pray. I don't think that's the same thing of praying to someone. like They don't pray to the saints in the sense that they pray for the saints to deliver them as a as a separate thing from god they're asking for the intercessory prayers of the saints like i would ask you for your intercessory prayers like i would ask you to pray for me i would ask you use your connection with god as best you can to help me out and that's what they're doing to the saints they're asking the saints use your connection with god as best you can to help me out so if you look at all it is so if you look at okay i was looking up some catholic prayers to but, marry anyway, that this or, the, but but that that's that that is a that's a contradictory statement to scripture that's the the point how well because also this that, doesn't answer my question that that, that because that is essential to 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 the belief of of christianity that it's only through christ that we're able to to have an access to God the Father. It's not through Muhammad. It's not through anyone else. And yeah, you say, well, I have Christ and I have the saints. No, it's only through Christ alone. Access to the uh, Father in what sense, though? Access to the Father's grace or access to the Father's kind of uh, response to our desires or everything. access to Him in terms of... And I don't, I don't think that's true. I don't think in every way. I think we're connected to God in multiple ways then, I mean, ultimately, Jesus facilitates it. So Jesus is the only one who facilitates that connection, but other people have that connection. So if that was, if what you're saying is true, that Christ is the only way that we can pray to God, then I will, I would never ask you to pray for me. I would never ask my Why? family to because pray for if, me. Because if you, the same thing. no, no, that it's not because if you, if someone asks you, hey, can you pray for me? Who is that petition going to? That's not going to you. You're not saying again, you're not, you're not running to the person's not running to you and saying, you know, in a sense, why um, they're, they're not praying to you. They're praying about you to God. They are praying about you to God. It's like if you say a prayer in the morning, who is that prayer going to? Why are you able to pray in the morning to God? It's because of Christ. If what, you what? ask me to pray for you and then I pray for you, my prayer is effective. If someone asks the saints to pray for them, then their prayers are to God on behalf of the person here on earth. That's all it is. Okay. Okay. It's asking I'm, someone else to pray I, I'm, for Okay, you. I'm looking at this Hail Holy, Holy Queen, traditional Catholic prayer. Okay. It says, Hail Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, hail our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To you we cry, the children of Eve. To you we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this land of exile. Turn then, most gracious advocate, your eyes of mercy towards us. Lead us home at last. Mm -hmm. 
Well, does that not sound like they're praying to? I, I didn't advocate for any specific prayer. I'm talking about the but this of this is this is in general. No, but no, I'm talking about the the prayer that they they give up to Mary, not the saints who aren't uh, who are alive, but the saints who are dead. The saints who are who who are dead, not who they're are, not dead. No, but they're not physically here. But they're not dead. Yeah, but why would you be sending up prayers to, like it says, as an advocate for us on God's behalf if Christ is our advocate? Christ is our advocate. That but you're saying that, but, but this is a, this is a, a Catholic, a traditional Catholic prayer. I have no idea what this prayer is. I'm not advocating for any specific prayer. I'm not Catholic. I don't do any of this. But well, I'm, so. ju I'm just I'm ju just saying from the this Catholic not... I'm just saying from the Catholic standpoint of view. That's uh -huh. why that's why I say I have a problem with it because in a sense they are making Mary and the saints on some parts as advocates between them and the Father, which isn't the case. I think they actually are advocates. I think you're an advocate for me when I ask you to pray for me I'm asking you to advocate for me and pray for me and help me out using your relationship with God because scripture says to pray for each other ask each other to pray for you because the prayers of a righteous man has great power and so that's all that's happening I don't know about any specific prayer I'm just explaining to you the idea of praying to the saints in general and it's actually more effective I would say in theory it would be more effective than asking you to pray for me because they're more alive than you are they're closer to God than you are their relationship with God is better than you are they're closer to the throne than you are so really so, but you're way, praying so you're praying you. to them you're praying to them that's that's the point you're missing you're praying to them to have direct access to God when they pray they pray to the saints Mary and all these saints, right. okay, they pray to them okay. to access to God. Is that not praying to them? Like if, if we're saying if we're saying Christ Jesus is our only access to God the Father, why don't we pray to just Christ Jesus? It, it's biblical. I, I think Hebrews specifically says it that the only access to God the Father, even in the whole New Testament, that's through Jesus Christ, not the saints. And the only reason that's why. I'm saying that's that's the one contradictory statement. I know we're we're getting off pace here, but that's the one con that could be dangerous of, of of salvation because we think by the means of other people than Christ we're able to enter into heaven. No one's saying that praying to the saints is your means to get into heaven, though. You're strawmanning like 17 times here. What I'm saying is that it is the same as asking you to pray for. That me. is not the same. It is though. You, you, I'm just telling you that, that is, is not that like is the, not the, the same. That is not the same. How? In what way? How is it not the same? What do you? That is definitely not the same because again, you tell me a prayer request. You say, "Hey, can you pray for me?" I advocate to you. I petition you to pray for me. No, that is not the. You, when I petition you to pray for me, how is that different than someone petitioning a saint to pray for them? How is it like? Give me a reason that it's different. I, I don't think you're 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 seeing the the you're you're saying that they are going again to the to the sense of saying they're they're praying to someone I, I think it's different. I, I wouldn't know it's how it's different because it's different. You know I, what reason? I think it's it it's clear I, I, I don't think that's an you're not saying, well, you're just using the hey, can you pray for me? You're like Oh well, can you be an advocate to the Father to me? 
you know, I, I don't I don't think that's that's yeah, the be petitioning you to but, advocate on my behalf because the problem I'm having. You're just like getting squeamish I, over this weird I, over this I, language I, that you've demonized I, I, in your I, own head. I I, th- I think if you I mean if you say who is the but th- but that doesn't mean again at the same time you, you're making the um, assumption of saying well that the 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 way I I, I see it from from the the vantage point uh, of me is it's the same thing of saying well I'm just gonna go to you and and by any any means this is gonna give me special favor in the eyes of God because another saint is praying for me but I think that's the wrong wrong mindset I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for other saints because we should but I don't think we should be petitioning our prayers to other saints you're saying that we should pray for each other, but it just has no effect and it doesn't do anything. No. I'm saying you are praying to petition prayers to other saints, through other saints in a sense of saying, you are praying, they, they specifically, you're praying to other saints. I don't, I don't think that's the what? same thing. That's not the same thing of me saying right near, dear mother of Mary, help me out, you know, with this and that. Um, I don't think that's the same thing of you coming to me and saying, hey, can you pray to me for this issue? And guess what? Who do I go to? I go, I pray for you through, through, uh, to, to God, you know, through Christ Jesus. But their sense of coming up is where they pray to the saints and Mary, okay, who are, who are passed away. They are living, but at the same time they are passed away. And they are, are are in a sense dead, and they are making a sense of a of having a problem, and they're running to a saint instead of Christ, who I I, I just don't think there's any biblical principle that tells us to run to other 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 people to direct access to God. I just think it's dangerous to to have. Well, it's not true. Because the Bible does say that to go to each other when you have a problem. But that's not the same. That's not the the okay. Can you explain why it's different. How is that? They're, All you they say are, is they're dead. They you are dead. They are dead. But you're you're making the sense of e- e- eternity. They're still alive. They're in heaven. They're but more they, alive. They are. But again, they are. They are. There is no biblical thing that they say. Let's pray to the dead sta- saints in heaven. Right. But I'm saying there's no. I'm not saying that the the Bible says pray to saints. I'm saying the Bible doesn't contradict or condemn it and you've yet to give me a reason why it would well but but it's the same it's the same thing of saying the 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 bible doesn't specifically say a point about um pornography for example but that doesn't mean there's other things that encompass where we can come to the conclusion that it's wrong you're you're saying you're, you're making the case well if the bible doesn't say it and there's really no clear contradiction, which I think there is clear contradiction in the Bible, then it's okay. Yeah. I, I don't... If the Bible doesn't condemn something, and it's not, it's not condemned by any of the moral rules of the Bible, then the Bible has not condemned it. If it's not condemned by the, by the moral rules of the Bible, then it's not a biblically condemnable practice. Even as in explicitly or implicitly, because pornography is condemned by Scripture, lustfulness, sexual immorality—that's all condemned by Scripture, which is obviously applicable to pornography. So I don't know why you, that's a weird example. So, 
explicit, implicit, it doesn't really matter. If it's condemned by the moral bounds of Scripture, then it's biblically condemnable. All I'm saying is that I don't think that praying to the saints is condemned biblically, because you've yet to give me any reason, because I don't really think there is a reason why it's different than asking someone else to pray to pray for you, because you're petitioning them to advocate to God on your behalf. The only difference is this word pray, when we, like I wouldn't say I would pray to you to pray for me, but people use the, the words pray to a saint to pray for you. So I would much just prefer the word of asking the saints to pray for you because it's really what it is. We only use the word prayer because they're in heaven and that's the only language that we know to refer to speaking to someone who's in heaven. It's the only language we have to describe that. And so we use the word pray, but then it causes you, for example, and many others to be squeamish because you say, well, we can't pray to anyone that's not God, even though I'm really not sure that there's a scripture that says that. Don't pray to anyone who isn't God, or, I mean, there's like, don't worship anyone who's not God, or don't put anyone in God's place, but I don't think that that's done when people, quote-unquote, pray to saints, or I would just say, speak to saints, because they are kind of around us at all times. There's a great cloud of witnesses, as Paul describes. The saints just surround us and are part of God, mm -hmm. and so everything we put to them, everything we ask them, and everything they do is really God doing it because they're just kind of united to the nature of God, to where them doing something, helping us in some way, is really God helping us in some way. Because obviously, even power that we have here spiritually is power through God, how much more so to someone who is intrinsically united to the divine nature of God and to his power. So it's really the only hang-up that you're having is with the language pray. It's turning you off to it, even though it's literally just talking to a member of the body of Christ, and there's no difference. Okay, I know I, know I have to leave soon, but the last question is with the relics of the saints they make how they some in some regards I won't but but they 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 make it seem that they worship saints okay. where they set up holy relics of these people preserve their bodies mm -hmm. and basically make it seem as if they are are some being that is out of this world um which I think, from my standpoint, I look at that and I struggle with because again, it's it's a, a sense of you're you're worshiping a a dead saint, um, in a way. Um, but I'm pretty sure I did answer your question with the. You didn't. I said, I said I need an example of something that is, pre is taught as necessary spiritually and is condemned by scripture. Even if you argue that praying to saints is condemned by scripture, I don't think that anyone teaches that it's essential for salvation. So it still doesn't apply. So you still haven't given me an example. Of I mean, I'm, I, I'm not saying there isn't any. I'm not even arguing that. I'm saying that you haven't given me an example because your whole thing was, well, the church authority can't be a proper authority for interpreting scripture because they 
add things that are contrary to scripture and burden people with that as necessary, like the Pharisees did. I'm saying I don't know of anything that's taught as necessary for salvation that is explicitly condemned in scripture. I think a lot of sacraments at the Catholic Church. How? I mean, how many are there? Seven of them, and they say that's the by those means they they are also justified mm-hmm. before first justification, mm-hmm. um, which again I think you could use the case. Well, it's just wording of the the issue, um, which but I think the the from the justification standpoint it, it, scripture clearly says it's by you're justified by only faith alone but they try to bring in the sacraments and saying these are also included in it uh-huh. which I think is unbiblical didn't you uh, say that, that was just a matter of wording though I think the these the 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 wording can be very dangerous um, with the because of the way they feel like if they don't do those seven things perfectly they may not be saved that's the only reason i somewhat kind of the the language is dangerous i think um from the the standpoints of the the sacrament because they say that's that's a part of their justification before they're ever justified in a sense the seven mm, sacraments i don't think they do they don't say that they're justified they're means to grace you said that it's they're justified by the sacraments before they're justified those are those the sacrament the sacrament the seven sacraments are means to grace correct yeah so means of being justified mm-hmm. you said but they're just you said something weird that didn't make sense you said that the sacraments are how they're justified before they're even justified. no I, I'm saying I'm saying I'm saying with the language of sanctification but I'm saying there is means that they they use to be justified so the right. means of grace plus Christ which again again can be language right, yeah, um, but I, I, I was talking about the 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 point of sanctification with the rejustifying point mm-hmm. but the, the sacraments like I said it could be wording, which. Well, I mean, the sacraments tie into justification. Like you're justified by. I mean, I think it's. I think the sacraments provide. It's well, more I guess means there of is, grace. Some of it is like salvific grace, and some of it is justifying grace. I guess, but. Which I think it's only by Christ. Again, that we are justified at that point. Now, afterwards, rejustification. Right, and that's done yeah. through sacraments. Yeah, so. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying. I'm not saying those Catholics aren't saved. But I, what what I am saying is that it 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 the the wording again with the sacraments of saying that also brings you more means of grace, kind of paints a picture to me. Well, does that mean Christ's grace wasn't enough? We need other means of grace to accomplish that justification for us. But again, I go back to. I would say maybe I'm not the, the wording is, but uh, I just I, I probably have to go. Um, but um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't. I don't I, see. That's a. I don't. I don't want. I won't speak on the Catholics. That's the only with with hearing those wording. That wording. It's the only thing that I would say is kind of the that con is contrary to scripture. Um, now maybe I need to look more into the saints things and what they mean by that. But I think the means of grace, I, I just don't think that's 
I don't know. I have, I have trouble with that wording. Mm. Um, yeah, sacrament, the uh, the belief on the sacraments is definitely something you could spend a long time on because I don't think, I think you do have a misunderstanding of what it is or at least it just probably comes down to the different wording and I don't know that it's, I don't know if it's contrary to scripture because all sacraments are based in scripture, but... But I mean, so the, the e- adding extra means of grace. I mean, I, that's right. salvation. I, mean, I mean, the scripture says that, that there are ways for us to access God's grace other than faith. I mean, scripture says that. It says that certain things bring grace. Grace being, you know, the power of God effectual in our lives. That that happens. Eh. I mean, he does say that. That's why baptism. That's why it says things about baptism. That's why it says things about the Lord's Supper. Because, I mean, do you? I mean, I guess you believe that all those things are just nothing, anyways. But I mean, Scripture says that there are that there is a power that comes with the Lord's Supper, and that's that's God's power. That's means of grace. That's why there's a negative punishment if you do it wrong, right? That's why it says that you know that the sacrament of of marriage can provide redemption for people and so that's why all the sacraments are are based in scripture as ways that christ tells us to access his merit that he's garnered on our behalf what I don't have anything to say to that. All right. I just have to look into more of it, of the wording issue. Fair enough. All right. I just want to say thank you for listening, everyone. It's been a really great one. We are glad to be back in person for today only, and then back to never seeing each other ever again while Derek runs around the country hiding from me. We also never address the fact that I am wearing a ski coat. Yeah, it's spring. It's 30 degrees in Indiana. Um, About 45. Appreciate you guys listening to this. Um, Let us know what you think in the comments and message us on Instagram. Let us know. What was the topic today? I kind of forget. Scripture alone. Does the church have any authority to interpret scripture? Why, how then do we deal with the fact that everyone just kind of disagrees and goes off and starts their own thing? That kind of seems like a problem. But at the same time, what if this church teaches stuff that's kind of whack? That's a problem too. Personally, I'm in a little bit of a gray area. (laughs) Um, That'll be it. Um, Bye.